definition of theory is as follows. A plausible or scientifically acceptable general principle or body of principles offered to explain phenomena. What is up, theorists? I am your host, Can Goods. Welcome back to the Can Theory Show. Today, we're going to be talking about Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book is the name given to the program under the United States Air Force, which investigates unidentified flying objects or UFOs. As of today, in the year 2021, they are no longer known as UFOs, but now they are Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, or UAPs. But for the sake of the video, we're just going to stick with UFOs. Project Blue Book was created in 1948 as an offshoot of Project Sign. Project Sign was originally known as Project Saucer, decreed that by Air Force General Nathan Farragut Twining, and afterward was called Project Grudge. This became Project Blue Book. The original intention of Project Sign and Project Grudge was to alleviate public anxiety over UFOs, and these sightings that they claimed were caused by weather balloons, conventional aircraft, planets, meteors, solar reflections, or even large hailstones. Now, you can't tell me that a UFO can be coined as a hailstone. That's a little bit far out. And the erratic movements that some of these are going to portray that I will get into later, you can't tell me that's a hailstone. That's out there, but I digress. So from 1948 through 1969, Project Blue Book investigated 12,618 UFO reports. They concluded that most of the reports were misidentification of natural phenomena. From my own research into Project Blue Book, it's of the 12,618 cases, approximately 701 of these still remain unidentified. Following the dismantling of Project Grudge and Project Sign in 1952, that's when Project Blue Book really took off. No pun intended. The United States Air Force's interest in unidentified flying objects is directly related to their responsibility for the safe airspace of the United States. The stated objective of the Department of Defense is to deter unnecessary war while at the same time protecting the national security of the U.S. Likewise, Project Blue Book falls into the same scope. The objectives are twofold. The first is to determine whether these UFOs pose a threat to national security. The second is to determine whether these UFOs possess any scientific technology that could further our advancement. So how does Project Blue Book work exactly? Well, it operates in three phases. The first includes a receipt of the UFO sighting and an investigation of the report. Upon receipt of a report, the nearest United States Air Force base is charged with the investigation of the sighting. The installation is also responsible for forwarding the information to the Project Blue Book headquarters, located at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base just east of Dayton, Ohio. If the initial report does not reveal positive identification or explanation, then the second phase takes effect. This is a more intensive analysis conducted by the Project Blue Book staff. Each individual case is objectively and scientifically analyzed and, if necessary, all of the scientific facilities available at the disposal of the United States Air Force can be used to arrive at a conclusion for these findings. Of course, during these investigations, it's recommended that all personnel take an unbiased and objective standpoint towards all these findings. 
as we are all well aware, sometimes things seem like they may be a little bit far-fetched. And having an open mind that the possibility exists, the report would then come to the conclusion that it is in fact an extraterrestrial object. And the third key phase presents itself, which is the dissemination of information concerning these UFO sightings. This phase is conducted by the Secretary of the Air Force himself, Office of Information. When the investigation into these reports is conducted, I would guess more so during the initial phase, the reporting party will be asked a series of 20 plus questions in order to deem the legitimacy of their reporting. This is in order to retrieve the most well-rounded, comprehensive information possible. Some of these are pretty basic, such as, give your name and address, where were you when you saw the object, give the date and specific time to include hour and minute when you first observed the object, in what direction did it appear, disappear, use the cardinal directions? At what height did it appear, disappear, use degrees? What was the duration of the appearance? Were there sounds associated with the sighting, such as an explosion? What color was it? Were there more than one object or body seen? What were the weather conditions at the time of the event? Were there others who witnessed this event that you can identify? While everything I just talked about involved the investigation into reports, I'm going to backtrack a little bit and talk about the history behind Project Blue Book. The first director of Project Blue Book was Air Force Captain Edward Ruppelt. Ruppelt has been officially credited for coining the term unidentified flying object or UFO, so we have him to thank for that. This term was used to replace flying saucers or flying disks, as these terms were determined by the U.S. military to be misleading. Project Blue Book was given the name because it was modeled after the blue books that were given to students at universities by their professors for tests. Why they used that to pick the name, I don't know. They were scientists, so probably just some nerdy people. Ruppelt served in the United States Air Force during World War II and later received a degree in aeronautics. He implemented a number of changes while he was at Project Blue Book. He streamlined how these UFO sightings were reported to and by government officials. He ordered a standard questionnaire for UFO witnesses, and he attempted to avoid open-ended speculation of UFOs, which ended up splitting it between critics and believers of the extraterrestrial. I mean, this guy took his job super seriously. He actually fired people because they were either too open-minded or because they just shut them out completely. He wanted fair, unbiased opinions stating, hey, this is what's going on. We need to take these accounts seriously and actually see what the reports are, the scientific data, what can we back it up with. Several people believe that the Ruppelt era was the golden age of UFO explanation and investigation. Ruppelt didn't even have to follow a chain of command. That's how unprecedented this entire situation was. While under Ruppelt's directive, the crew probed eh, eh, into many UFO encounters. One notable case being the Lubbock Lights, an unusual reporting of lights flying over Lubbock, Texas in August of 1951. Three professors in Lubbock, Texas identified a U-pattern of lights flying overhead in a formation, and then directly afterwards, a second formation identical to the first flew over as well. They were not alone in their testimony, as three women also claimed that they saw these formations too on August 25th. 
Their statements indicate that the circular crafts had an eerie blue and greenish glow about them and flew close to 600 miles per hour. Now let's talk about the mess that is the Robertson panel. In July of 1952, Washington, D.C. had an unprecedented amount of UFO sightings. Between July 19th and 20th, and also between July 26th and 27th, was known as the Washington Flap occurred. Starting on Saturday, July 19th, 1952, an air traffic controller at Washington National Airport noticed several unidentified objects on radar. No aircraft were supposed to have been in the area, and no flight trajectories were planned. Their movement was said to be completely radical compared to conventional aircraft of the time, and they did conclude that the radar was working properly. Another fellow traffic control tower also reported the same sightings. They had an unidentified blips on their radar, a hovering bright light in the sky, and speeds incapable of our aircraft. At the same time, other objects appeared all over radar. When they arrived at the White House in the United States Capitol building, the air traffic control towers contacted Andrews Air Force Base. They had no findings on radar. They had, however, received a call from an enlisted airman who had witnessed a flying object. And Airman William Brady witnessed this craft from the United States Air Force traffic control tower, describing it as an object which appeared to be like an orange ball of fire trailing a tail. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. It took off at unbelievable speed. End quote. On the ground, a pilot by the name of S.C. Pierman was awaiting his DC-4 for permission to take off. This was just a conventional aircraft. He believed he had seen a meteor and was told by air traffic control that he had multiple objects coming towards him. He saw six white, tailless, fast-moving lights over the course of 14 minutes. As they flew off at incredible speed, they lost radar contact. At 3 a.m. on July 20th, all of the objects on radar vanished just before two F-94 Starfire jets from the United States Air Force arrived on the scene. No further activity occurred until the jets ran low on fuel and began their return to base. Somehow, these UFOs seemed to know this and re-emerged, seemingly aware of communications between the jet fighters and air traffic control. At 05.30 a.m., the crafts vanished from radar entirely. After these events, Ruppelt tried to investigate these instances at the Washington Flat. However, he was given a runaround by officials and returned to Project Blue Book headquarters in Dayton, Ohio. The next weekend, July 26th and 27th, began an entirely new wave of UFO sightings again in Washington, D.C. Albert M. Chop was dispatched as a spokesperson for Project Blue Book and accompanied radar personnel for the detection of these UFOs. These craft were able to hover slowly, go in reverse, and achieve speeds of up to 7,000 miles per hour. Once again, two F-94s were deployed by the United States Air Force to intercept these craft, but they were unable to keep pace. Air Force pilot William Patterson saw four white glows and attempted to chase them, but was completely overwhelmed by their speed. Albert Chop asked what he was seeing out there, and he in turn responded, I see them now, and they're all around me. What should I do? 
None of the traffic controllers knew what to tell him. But, I mean, get out of there, dude. That's what you do. You get out of Dodge. Now, we get to the creation of the Robertson panel by the CIA in 1953, which I mentioned earlier. Howard P. Robertson was placed in charge of the panel to protect national security from UFO reports. The Robertson panel pressured Project Blue Book into concealing all findings on UFO matters unless they had either been solved or debunked. So, the CIA, I'm sure, politely asked to step in and make sure these unbiased officials were not disclosing the information to the public. I'm sure it was very nice. And Rupelt was temporarily assigned to another command in 1953. And upon his return, after he requested a transfer back, he noticed that the entire organization of Project Blue Book had been gutted from more than 10 personnel to two. And with himself, three personnel. Only three personnel investigating UFOs. Their zeal had been taken, though, and... They only funneled the less significant UFO sightings to Project Blue Book afterwards. And in 1954, Rupelt was replaced by Captain Charles Hardin. Hardin was a known UFO skeptic and denounced all UFO sightings as claims from lunatics. In 1956, situations worsened even further still with the appointment of Captain George Gregory. Gregory fully committed to the denial of any claims and labeled them as either a comet or a weather balloon unequivocally. This went on until 1958 when command turnover happened once again with Lieutenant Colonel Robert Friend taking the helm. Friend was an advocate for extending the research and digging deeper into his claims of UFOs but was constrained by budget setbacks and skepticism. Criticism of Project Blue Book arose during this era from a group known as NICAP, the National Investigators Committee on Aerial Phenomena, a civilian research group. It was asserted that Project Blue Book had been involved with covering up UFO sightings. These claims resurfaced once again under the tenure of the next director, Major Hector Quintanilla. Major Quintanilla took over in 1963 and returned to the previous regime's control policy of denial and debunking. The reputation of Project Blue Book was never the same, with critics claiming that Major Quintanilla was completely incompetent and that Project Blue Book had lost all its credibility. Witnesses in Texas in 1965 saw many lights shaped like diamonds in the sky able to ascend from 22,000 feet to 4,000 feet in a few seconds, defying all technology of the time. Project Blue Book claims that there were mistaken sightings of Jupiter or other stars. Sure. And again, we have sightings in Portage County near Ravenna, Ohio. Police officers saw a silver-shaped disk object in the sky at 1,000 feet with a bright light emanating from underneath at 5 a.m. on April 17, 1966. They, along with other police jurisdictions, tailed the craft for 30 minutes, in which time the craft traveled some 85 miles. Quintanilla and Project Blue Book claimed that they were following a communication satellite and the planet Venus. Sure, yeah. Makes total sense. Instances such as these eventually drove the nail into the coffin of Project Blue Book, 
the United States Air Force decided to cease funding because the group cannot be justified on the grounds of national security or in the interest of science. Project Blue Book was officially ended on December 17, 1969. Throughout their run, all of their findings were declared to be either mass hysteria, hoaxes from publicity seekers, psychopathological persons, misidentification of various conventional objects. There's been no effort to formally resume Project Blue Book since, but there have been other military operations to look into UFO sightings. In 2017, the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program, or ATIP, was made aware to the public as a UFO research team and had been funded $20 million every year between 2007 and 2012. Apart from ATIP, no military-funded UFO investigations are currently known to be in operation or they have not been declassified. So with that being the end of Project Blue Book, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up with our condensed segment. Project Blue Book, I think it really had some potential. At one point, it really was doing great things in terms of extraterrestrial research. A lot of these things they claimed were unfounded, but some of these anomalies are seriously documented and really don't have an explanation and are pretty credible for being actual UFO sightings as anything that was photographic proof can't actually be replicated either. I feel like with the CIA getting involved in stepping on toes and then the Air Force employing people as director that had no interest in research, they literally just wanted to debunk and get rid of it, just brush under the rug so that it wouldn't fear the public opinion. I think they were just worried at the time they want to research and see what technological abilities were out there and keep it hush-hush. If only it would have kept going that strong because that was the heyday of UFO sightings, and I think we're once again seeing that. They've been continuous throughout human history, particularly since the 40s after the discovery of the atom bomb. It's just a shame that every time something seems to get going about them, they shut it down or... They're labeled as, I don't know, paranoids or hoaxes, really. it's There's a lot of very credible UFO sightings out there. I don't know. You know, it's just it's kind of sad to see. I feel like if they would have stayed as open to the public about it, the public image wouldn't be as bad. People wouldn't just be labeled crackpot theorists. I don't say I believe in all UFO sightings. But I think there's definitely some that have a lot of weight to them. And, you know, the men in black, they come in and have people change their stories. And that's the end of that. I guess that's the way the world is. And maybe one day we'll find out. A lot of these documents are declassified now. And I'm pretty sure there will be more that are declassified in the future. So... Without further ado, thank you guys so much if you made it to the end of this video. Check out everything we got. Um, this was a cool one. Anything alien related, UFOs, I really get into. There's going to be a lot more of that eventually. Um, got a couple big ones coming up. Kind of saving off on like Roswell and the major ones. 
because I really, really want to take some time on those. But check us out on any of the mediums. You know, we're on YouTube, Spotify, we have Twitter, Instagram, all under the name of Can Theory. Pretty easy to find. Um, I'm gonna put some links up at the end of this video to all those platforms. And uh, yeah, thank you, theorists. I love you guys. This is your host, Can Goods, signing off.